Good day and welcome to the Better Modesto Show on KFIV 1360 and live on the iHeartRadio app. This is your host, Ulysses Vasquez, Chris Rickey, and today we have a really special guest. Before I introduce them, I'd like to turn it over to Chris to see, hey, how's, hey. The, how's the city running nowadays, Chris? The city is it still it exists still um so i love talking about city stuff right so a lot of people don't know it but july is kind of like the unofficial like summer break for the city oh yeah so like i don't know exactly know how it works but in this in every july since i've been elected there's only like usually one meeting in the whole month so that's the time ideal time to take a vacation well, I think, and I, I don't think it's sinister. Okay. I think okay. it's just like, let's say you're a department head at the city of Modesto, right? Sure. And you, you're you given, I don't know, I think they're given two or three weeks off or whatever. I don't know exactly how much, but they get time off. Yeah. But if you're a department head, you can't really take time off if there's a city council meeting the next week because you have to be at the city council meeting to answer questions and be responsible for stuff, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. really do. And that's true also for a lot of the people underneath them in the departments, like deputies, deputy managers, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And so when you have city council meetings almost every week, it makes it really difficult to fit a vacation in there, right? So I think that's probably what it is. Okay. You know, like, <laughs> hey, let's give these people a little bit of yeah. little grace, a little, little slack so that they can, you know, you can take your family somewhere for a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I get it. But anyway... That's not to say that we have been doing nothing, because it's not. absolutely not true. Yeah. Um, the cruising ban got lifted. Congratulations. Last, yeah, yeah, that was a big deal. Huge. There's a lot of people in our community advocating for that, and I know some people are, like, very concerned about it, but, like, like the world's changed a yeah. lot in the last 30 years, mm-hmm. and cruising, you know, these guys are cruising. These cars are, like, $100,000 you know, yeah. <laughs> they're not going to be like doing burnouts in these Impalas, right? Yeah. It's just not, it's just, there's just too much money in them to like do that. And, and it feels timely because we have a, a cruising museum with, yeah. you know, cars from back in that time coming along in the works and it's open. You can actually go visit it. So, I mean, what a great time. You have a museum coming along. You got the cruising band lifted. I mean, I think it's, it sounds like it's a, it's a great time to kind of revamp and like re-envision what it looks like to have um, a very, I think, a multicultural experience of what cruising uh, right? can be here in the 21st century. Yeah, you got your hot rodders, yeah. you got your classic car people, you got your low riders, like they're all a little different. It is. Um, and they all like have different demographics. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's super rad. And I, the other thing I really liked about the way that the city presented this is they're like, yeah, we're going to legalize cruising because based on other cities that have legalized it in the state of California, they, it just doesn't cause a problem anymore. Yeah. However, like sideshows are causing huge issues and like people are getting hurt. They're causing all sorts of issues. So like we that same night we passed a sideshow law to reduce sideshows in Modesto and make Modesto safer. So I really like the way the city went about it, and I think that they did it the right way. Yeah. And I think it's going to have a positive impact on our quality of life, and the city's going to be better because of it. Yeah, I'm excited. I've never been to any kind of cruising experience as a person who's from Modesto and was born and raised here. So to go and do take part of a cruising, that'd be so cool. Oh, we'll have to hook that up. I've got, like, I got a bunch of, like, 
cruising buddies now. Oh, you know, and nice. like I've been talking to my wife. I was talking to my wife yesterday. And I was like, you know, we're probably gonna have to buy a classic car. <laughs> like we're part of Modesto. You know, like yeah. we gotta like get we gotta go all in on this. You know, yeah. and um, that's awesome. But anyway, like there's also so many people out there, just really awesome people. There's this guy Sergio that I rode with. Um, couple, I was like couple. Was it last year? Last year in the uh, in the Christmas parade, and he's got a convertible Impala, and like he's just the coolest dude. Like if you if if I was like, hey Sergio, Ulysses wants to cruise a little bit, he'd be like, yeah baby, let's okay. go. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm down. I'm down. So you listeners, you may see a photo of me in hell in, yeah. In a cool we're, we're gonna do car. that. We're That's gonna definitely do that. Um, <laughs> What else? We also uh, have. I mean, we also had a, a tragedy happen recently um, at a, at a park mm-hmm. um, where a, a woman was run over um, at a park. Lawnmower, and, yeah. By a lawnmower, and that I mean tragedies and our condolences to to that family. Right. And it. I saw an article come out uh, from the Modesto Bee about the conversation about housing and having safe housing because that situation yeah. would not happen if there was safe housing, right? I mean, that you definitely lower the risk of any of those Certainly things. Certainly lower the risk, yeah. no question, yeah. you know. Um, I mean, to be clear, that park, the city didn't own it. It wasn't a city situation. It was a deal where, I don't know if we all can remember, back, it was like a year ago where we sold that parcel yeah. to Gallo, and then we took a piece of Gallo land, not because we didn't want to keep the park, because the park was cool, but we wanted to have a, a contiguous um, Tuolumne River Regional Park yeah. trail so that people could like walk their, you know, walk or ride their bikes on a public trail on public land, right? Yeah. And so like yeah. that's why we traded it. I don't know the fact that the city owns it or doesn't own it makes that much difference in terms of the, um, in terms of our like what we really care about which is taking care of people and like trying to get people off the streets right like that's really what matters most but I think it's important not to like I don't know make it look like the city necessarily did something here like we weren't involved in that part but um, but it's super easy just like people are just like with the city council meeting people are like lobbing grenades at us you know it's like look hey you know come on yeah. We have good intentions here. No one's trying to hurt anybody. Definitely. And you know? I, one thing that the Better Masto show has talked about a lot is the push for, for housing, for yeah. you know making sure that we can find spaces um, to not only provide those basic necessities to people who are unhoused, uh, but also just like a space where you know they can be and, and not another... I mean, in this hot summer, so many different spaces that... that oh, you know, it's just... I just can't even imagine right now what it's like to be unhoused and you know we do not have enough space at the shelters right now for everybody yeah and that's that's one of my big questions right now it's like we know that we've got you know 1600 homeless people and I don't know around six to eight hundred spaces for them yeah like that the math doesn't add up exactly yeah how does that how can that be you know and what is our plan to fill that gap? I understand you can't necessarily fill it up, fill that gap up instantly. That's not possible. It's just a lot of organizing and budgeting and all that stuff that goes into it. But 
how are we going to do it? Yeah, and, and it really does take the voice of the community and people to advocate, and that's something that we want. And so to right. get that ball even started and moving faster. Yeah, and like I was talking to uh, another advocate today, and it's like we just had this moment where we're like, okay, so we know what we need to figure out what these government entities want. Like, what do they want? What are their like? What if the county could say like, I want to do X with homelessness? I think we should house this many people. Yeah. Or I think we should solve the homeless problem by this solution. Because it seems like there isn't a clear answer to that question right now. Not just with the county. I mean with the city, too. Yeah. I don't think either of them have a clear answer right now. And I think I want a number. I want a goal. I want something specific that residents can hold us accountable to. Yeah. Rather than right now, which is, I don't know. I think it's almost like, hey, if we don't see him, it's cool. Yeah. And that's not cool. Yeah. And they're here and they're people who need that support and advocacy. They are people. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited for our guest today. Uh, we're we're going to introduce him after the break. Um, he is someone who is, who is an advocate for our community as well. And uh, he will be telling us a little bit more about the fentanyl crisis that is happening here in our community. Um, he's someone who's familiar with his work. Uh, and he is he is plenty to share during that time, and I, I'm really excited after the break to hear a little bit more about you know what is fentanyl. Uh, we hear about Narcan and and uh, that as a nasal spray and the availability of it. These are questions that I'm sure you listeners have heard about or have talked about, um, and so it's really it's really important for us to shine a light that it is something that is happening here in our community. It's not something that's foreign that's happening just on the national news. Um, but here in Stanislaus County, that's something that um, that is an issue that needs to be addressed. So, you know, in closing before our break, um, do you have any thoughts on, on this fentanyl crisis? Yeah, quickly. I mean, drugs right now aren't like when we were kids. And, you know, I was never a drug person, but you can't even experiment anymore. Or you can die. Yeah. You know, the fentanyl crisis is so serious. It's in everything. Uh, and it is absolutely deadly and that's what I tell like I tell my son I'm like man like you your friends don't get near this any of it mm -hmm. because it will it kill it's killing people it's killing people the first time they try it it is so deadly and so scary like there's no other option I'm s that's just how it is yeah it's not cute yeah it's it's too dangerous it is dangerous you know and I've always tried to have that kind of honest you know, dialogue with my kids, but it's like this is one of those things. Like, there's no wiggle room. Mm -hmm. You know, and and the people are learning it the hard way. And it's like, I think we're what 250 people passed from fentanyl over the last couple of years. I mean, yeah. in this county, and they're of all ages. Wow, like it is insane. Yeah. So um, we'll talk about that with uh, someone who is working and is doing and is doing the work in our community to help address this issue. So we'll introduce him after the break. You've been listening to The Better Modesto Show on KFIV 1360 and live on the iHeartRadio app. This is your host, Ulysses Vasquez, co-host Chris Ricky, and we'll introduce our guest after the break. Welcome 
welcome back to the Better Modesto Show on KFIB 1360 and live on the iHeartRadio app. This is your host, Ulysses Vasquez, and I am having the honor to introduce a person who is doing the work in addressing the fentanyl crisis. And he's part of an organization called Aegis Treatment Center, and he's an SOR, patient navigator, and a substance abuse counselor, Frank Silva. Welcome to our show, Frank. Hi, Ulysses. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to come on to your program and speak a little bit about this unfortunate crisis that's occurring in our community. Yeah, it, it is a crisis. And, you know, I think for myself, the context that I, I have here is, you know, you hear about it. You've heard about it on the news. I heard about it during Halloween of like looking out for certain candy that might be laced with fentanyl. And I mean, as Chrissy was, Chris was talking about in the previous segment, I mean, it's a huge issue that can touch has touched the lives of many people in a way that has been tragic for them and their own families. Could Yeah, could you just tell us a little bit more about, you know, yourself and your involvement in this? Yeah, most definitely. So my journey with Aegis Treatment Centers and this type of work started actually, it started in about 2006, 2007. I was experimenting with Vicodin, which is hydrocodone. That eventually moved on to Oxycontin, and then later towards the end of my addiction, I'd moved on to black tar heroin, just because it was so much cheaper and more available than the Oxycontin was at the time. Mm. So it was around 2010, 2011, I started treatment for my opioid use disorder, and I actually went to Aegis Treatment Centers to get clean. I was on methadone maintenance for a number of years, I had some amazing counselors that helped me through the process, and it was during that time I realized that maybe this is what I was meant to do, to work in this type of setting and assist individuals who are struggling with opioid use just as I was. So that was kind of my story. Once I graduated from the Aegis program, I went back to school, finished my associates, finished my bachelor's in psychology, and I came back to work for the same program I was at. Uh, In 2018, I began working with Aegis Treatment Centers and in that time, I've been a counselor for roughly five years. And just a couple months ago, as you mentioned, I began this new position as a patient navigator. Uh, the SOR is the state opioid response grant through the state of California that our organization and other organizations have received to help with this fight against fentanyl and other opioids that are destroying the communities we live in. And in that capacity as a patient navigator, I oversee the grant funding for individuals on our program, but I also get to do a lot of cool stuff like this, community outreach, I distribute Narcan, I see you got the Narcan I gave you earlier today, I was more than happy to be able to assist with that because we are trying to preach harm reduction as much as possible and prevent individuals from dying so that they can get the treatment services they need. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean thank you for sharing so vulnerably your story. and. I can imagine that when you're working with with patients, that there's a part of you that you see in them. Like, this, is there is there something that that drew you? Was there like a certain moment that for you where you realized that you wanted to to really like break out and share like this message out to people? And yeah, and I, I would say yeah, I, I would say when I was getting towards the end of my recovery journey. And I kind of reflected that that's a big part of the recovery journey is self-reflection, taking stock of our journey, where we're at, where we're going. And I realized how crucial the assistance I received from 
not just the counseling staff, but the front office staff, the medical assistants, the doctors, management at the clinic I was at, how amazing they all were and how I couldn't have made my journey without them. So it was around that time I realized this is a a vital service and I, I feel like it was part of what I was supposed to do all along. I just didn't understand it until I reached that point in my life and it almost kind of clicked and it was like an epiphany and since then it's been amazing I love the work I do I've been able to touch so many lives in the same way that my life was touched and I just feel privileged to do this work yeah I mean I appreciate your courage and I also appreciate again your vulnerability and willing to to turn the the experiences of your own life in a way to actually like really benefit people to help them recover so that's really admirable, and thank you for doing that in our in our community, in our city. Are you from Modesto? Is this or is this your area or the Stanislaus County? Yeah, I am. I was actually born in Tracy, and I lived in Tracy for the first few years of my life, and moved to my grandparents' dairy for about a year in Lemoore, and then at age six, I moved to Salida, and I've been in the Modesto City school system my entire life. I'm a graduate of Grace Davis High School, class of 2006. There we go. And uh, (laughs) I've been um, invested in this community my entire life, so being able to do this type of work, not just for the clinic I'm at, but for Modesto and Stanislaus County as a whole has just been so great. I've met so many wonderful people that are doing amazing work here and a lot of it goes unnoticed. So I feel it's it's amazing to be able to highlight some of the people that I've been coming into contact with on shows like this and just trying to help make that network even stronger because sometimes there are these people doing great work in these kind of shadowy corners of the city and as I mentioned you don't hear about them they don't look for a whole lot of publicity because they're not in it for publicity they're Mm. doing it because it's a passion project but I feel we should be highlighting some of those individuals and also bringing them together because I feel the more we're able to collaborate the more we're able to think win-win the bigger impact we could make locally and it's just been wonderful having this opportunity and I'm looking forward to what the future brings. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you being on our show because the purpose of it is to really shine a light on individuals who are doing the courageous work addressing the issues in Modesto, the the crises of San Salvador County and our surrounding area. And so I just appreciate that there are people like yourself who are one being a connector because this show has allowed us to connect with a lot of people and our listeners can attest to that. But also we get to meet new people who are also on their own passion project and allowing our listeners to join that and hear about it to see you know how they can be aware, educated of it, and also you know how they can even support in the in battling this crisis. Uh, you you mentioned you got to Aegis and now you're working there. How did you even get to Aegis in the first place to be treated? That was a little bit of luck to be honest I had tried some other treatment in the past especially through my primary care physician and it wasn't quite working for me I think it was a combination of just me not being ready at the time and me needing the right type of treatment and the right type of interventions and 
I was doing some research because I just really they, there's a reco- there's a saying in recovery you get sick and tired of being sick and tired and I was mm. sick and tired of being sick and tired mm. so I was willing to try anything at that point and I was just doing some research online I learned about methadone I tried researching about clinics in the area I found out about the Aegis on McHenry and I went and tried it out and I was very fortunate to just come into it and as I mentioned the staff the doctors everyone was great the medication really helps with getting individuals addicted to opioids to a stable level to where the methadone or suboxone now is another new medication that we utilize to assist with opioid use disorder. Those medications prevent withdrawal, they prevent craving, they allow the brain the space and time to heal from the damage mm-hmm. of substance use. And then the counseling staff, the doctors, they assist as well. There's monthly UA tests, uh, so urine analysis tests, so individuals are held accountable on the program, and the counseling staff, they utilize evidence-based curriculum that has been researched and proved to be effective for these types of substance use disorders. So that all taken in totality just really helped me in my recovery journey. Yeah, yeah. And so now you're here, and now you're able to even know even more of the services that Aegis provides. And you touched on some. Is there any other ones you want to address? If someone is going to Aegis uh, and you know they want to know, obviously they have the urine tests and they have these different kind of medication they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, is there something else that Aegis specializes in? Any other services you want to share about the organization? Yeah, we also have group counseling, which I'm pleased to say is coming back after going away for a little bit during COVID. COVID, yeah. Yeah. So... That was extremely difficult. I had a music therapy group. I first start when I was first working with Aegis, I was at our Fifth Street location in Stockton. And I had a music therapy group I was doing out there and I loved running that group. The individuals loved attending that group. It Music is just an amazing therapy. They say music soothes, soothes even the savage beast. And mm. I really found that to be true. You could take someone who is hostile and maybe they have behavioral issues, but if you're able to get them in a room, have them listen to music, have them critically think about the music, what the lyrics mean, have the power of the the song change their emotion and put them in a space where it takes them back to a different place in time where maybe they were happier or they were felt more connected to other people they felt more love, whatever the case may be, and just getting them to share in open dialogue. It's, an, it's a great process, and you know we miss that during COVID, so I'm happy to say that Aegis has that back again. We're, we're getting everything going. We're starting to return to normal once again, and humans were such social creatures, and one of the, si- one of the side effects of you know, addiction can be isolation. And it's something we see too often, unfortunately. And I feel the COVID lockdowns only exacerbated that. So it's it's wonderful going back to the clinic every day, seeing all the happy, smiling faces. Mm-hmm. And we're just excited to have group counseling back. And one important thing to note is that if we are not able to provide a service directly at the clinic, our caseload managers, our counselors are very knowledgeable with area resources and we always try to 
facilitate referrals to outside agencies to ensure we have comprehensive coverage and that all our patient needs are met. Yeah. Thank you for that array of services. I mean, that's even great that even if there's something that you're like, I don't know if they can help me out with this, with this issue or this addiction, that there's someone else that you can go there. Or if you know someone who needs it, they can go there and they can be referred out to where they need to go. Precisely. Um, and yeah, music does tame the, the was Savage Beast. Yes. As mm-hmm. you said. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I used to, as I close up, we wrap up our, before our break, I used to work as a behavioral health specialist uh, with as a, almost like a paraprofessional school with students with behavioral needs oh. uh, on the spectrum. And um, some our student would get really angry and just didn't know how to really regulate his emotions and so I just put Moonlight Sonata on him for him and it was amazing he just laid there after he was all you know throwing things in, wow. in, in the room and I did I've experienced that so music can be very healing mm-hmm. and, and we all get to experience it together mm-hmm. and yeah it's so great to hear that that's even another way um, that, that you guys support your your patients so in closing, when we come back, we'll talk more about the fentanyl crisis and what you have seen and what that looks like in our county. So we'll talk more about after that. Sounds we'll talk good. more about that after the break. Looking forward to listening. it. You've been listening. Yeah, me too. Uh, you've been listening to the Better Modesto Show on KFIV thirteen sixty and live on the iHeartRadio app. This is your host Ulysses Vasquez, co-host Chris Ricky, who uh, is with us and uh, SOR patient navigator at Aegis Treatment Center and substance abuse counselor, Frank Silva. Catch you after the break. Welcome back to the Better Modesto Show on KFIV 1360 and live on the iHeartRadio app. This is your host, Ulysses Vasquez, co-host Chris Rickey, and we're here and we have the honor of, of being with a person who is really doing the work in addressing the needs of people who are on substance, who are who have substance addictions. He's the SOR patient navigator at Aegis Treatment Centers and substance abuse counselor, Frank Silva. Welcome back, Frank. Good to be back. Yeah. And, you know, I just wanted to share, I, I have family who have dealt with opioid and have had other substance abuses, uh, substance abuse issues. And um, yeah, just to know that, like how I've seen some of them go through the work and seeing you where you're at. Um, and I just, I hear like a fulfillment, right? Like a, a fire to really do the work and an energy. So I do appreciate that. Um, that yeah, you definitely are doing an amazing work. And I know it's not easy, but I, I just appreciate individuals as yourselves who are doing that, especially hitting home to people who have gone through some of these treatments. So thank you. Yeah, most definitely. And thank you for saying that. Um, I do feel incredibly fulfilled. There's a, another recovery saying where our worst day in recovery is better than our best day in active addiction. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that to be factual. It's... I try to let people on my caseload know that once you go through the depths of addiction and those lowest of lows and come out on the other side, it makes you a superhero because everything, any challenge you'll ever face after that point Hmm. will seem easy in comparison to all the hard work you had to do to dig yourself out of that hole. So it's extremely fulfilling for myself to be leading the life I am now. 
It's extremely fulfilling to help other individuals walk that path and become the best versions of themselves. And it's extremely fulfilling to do positive work in the community because acts of service is what it's all about. So thank you once again for those kind words. And yeah, I look forward to many, many years of assisting individuals in recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting here in, my, in, in the studio and I have a Narcan nasal spray right next to me. You know, it's a little little box here. You have a whole box of them. I do. Um, how did we get to this place that this Narcan is ha, should be around, distributed in various areas of our community? Mm-hmm. Like, what? Tell me more about that and how that connects to the fentanyl crisis. Well, that's an excellent question, Ulysses, and it is both a blessing and something truly unfortunate that I have access to this much. Narcan and I'm able to distribute it. I wish I didn't have to go around and distribute this type of Narcan, but unfortunately it's a reality now, especially in Stanislaus County, as Chris was alluding to earlier. In the past few years, there's been hundreds of fentanyl deaths in Stanislaus County. I have some of the numbers here in front of me. Just last year in 2022, 128 fentanyl deaths in Stanislaus County, another 14 from other opioids. And that is up just as recently as 2018. That number was only 10 fentanyl overdose deaths. So in the, in the span of four years, the number of fentanyl overdose deaths has increased 12 fold, which is truly alarming. If you look at a chart, a graph of the trends over the past decade, it literally is an exponential rise. And that is what makes availability for Narcan so important. There are some people who would say it's enabling to provide Narcan in this way. Mm -hmm. We at Aegis are all about harm reduction. And we're of the mindset that an individual needs to stay alive to be able to get into treatment. If they overdose and die, they'll never be able to get into treatment. And I've unfortunately spoken with many mothers through the Stanhope Foundation which is a collection of mothers who have lost children to fentanyl poisoning. Mm. And hearing the pain when they describe the loss of their child, it's heartbreaking. And if we could help to prevent that and give an individual one more opportunity at recovery, then that's what we're all about. So yeah, I'm more than happy to provide this Narcan. Um, I have my, my card. And I left some other educational materials for you and other individuals here at the studio to pass along, distribute. We're trying to do as much education and prevention work as possible and handing out the Narcan, handing out these educational materials. We're also working on getting harm reduction stations set up throughout Modesto, Stanislaus County, and eventually San Joaquin and Merced counties. Also, we have other patient navigators all throughout the state here at Aegis that are doing amazing work. So I just want to shout out all our other patient navigators at Aegis. They're just incredible people who are not just smart and talented, but they really are passionate about this work. So there's big things coming from Aegis treatment centers. There's big things coming in the substance use community. And hopefully we'll see some transformations, not just here locally, but across the state and across the nation. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a rising issue, as you said, exponential growth in our area. And, you know, it is a blessing, of course, right, to have both this kind of harm reduction method 
of it. And how would it be? So I have Narcan nasal spray with me. Fentanyl is a is a kind of drug that just do you know maybe some of the how it affects you there in our body and what is Narcan doing there? Yeah. So basically, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. It's around 50 to 100 times stronger than morphine. Wow. And the way people overdose, it's through respiratory depression. So the fentanyl, it just floods the opioid receptor sites in the brain. And one of the effects of that, it's a painkiller, so it kills pain, but it also causes respiratory depression. And too much will just cause complete lack of respiration and the person will just die. So the way Narcan works, the active ingredient is naloxone. And naloxone basically occupies those receptor sites in the brain that fentanyl is occupying, and it rips all the fentanyl out of the system. So that's how people are able to be revived when they've overdosed. So it actually takes it out of you. It does, yes. Mm -hmm. That's, oh wow. So then that's why it is important. So if someone was having a fentanyl overdose, then in a sense you'd put that spray in them, Mm -hmm. and that would save their life. Yes, yes. So uh, naloxone is an antagonist. So basically that's the effect that you were describing where it rips the fentanyl out of the receptor sites. Got it. And Mm -hmm. allowing for breathing to continue. Exactly. Um, I've heard about test strips. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me more about these test strips for our listeners. Uh, They're like fentanyl related. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So as Chris had kind of alluded to, the fentanyl is just in everything, unfortunately. And... We want individuals to make good decisions, but even if individuals aren't going to make the best decisions or they're going to experiment, we want them to do it in a safe manner. Yeah. And what the mm-hmm. to clarify, you and you said fentanyl is in everything. Uh, for our listeners, what would be some of those things that abnormally fentanyl would have not been in there for mm-hmm. maybe decades ago? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we're seeing it in ecstasy. We're seeing it in benzodiazepine pills that people are buying on the street. So say, for instance, someone is buying what they think is Xanax or Valium, Ativan, something like that on the streets. A lot of times they're manufactured and they're not from a pharmacy and they'll have fentanyl in them. So we want these test strips are so individuals can test the substances that they're buying to see if it has fentanyl in it. Because if someone is intending to maybe take some ecstasy, do some cocaine, take a benzodiazepine, and they've never done opioids before, their tolerance is going to be extremely low. So, So even a minuscule amount of fentanyl can be deadly. And we've even been hearing some reports of marijuana being laced with fentanyl, and it's, it's truly disturbing. So... Fentanyl test strips is something that we, as I mentioned, we're working on getting harm reduction stations going. We've been working with individuals in the community to help get access to fentanyl test strips. We have test strips that we distribute at events and to local organizations who maybe serve populations where those test strips would be necessary. So fentanyl test strips is definitely a big part of the harm reduction movement along with Narcan, along with, there's uh, great people I know, Dr. Krause and Dr. Silva here in the county are working on getting a needle exchange set up to reduce instances of HIV, hepatitis, and other diseases, that viruses that could be spread through intravenous drug use. So it's all part of a model to 
as we mentioned, we want people to make good decisions. We want to educate them. But if they're going to make less than ideal decisions, we want them to be safe doing it until we could help educate them and get some of those measures out. Yeah. And I, I, I really like the way you, you framed it, that in order for them to get treatment, they need to be alive. Yes. Right. And so, I, I mean, that harm reduction model, you know, makes sense in the sense that, you know, people have dignity, people have value, they, they're people, as Chris mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they deserve that second chance. And something that you had an opportunity, a lived experience uh, to that and some of the people that I know as well. And so um, it is so key that we have these things available to give that opportunity per, for a person to have that uh, choice to do treatment and uh, to be superheroes in their own vein. And so thank you for sharing about that. Uh, we'll have one more segment after this. And we'll talk a little bit more about where these are available and what are kind of the services um, where people can access more information about this. So uh, we'll, we'll talk about that after the break. You've been listening to The Better Modesto Show on KFIV 1360 and live on the iHeartRadio app. This is your host, Ulysses Vasquez, co-host Chris Ricky, and today we're joined uh, by our very special guest, SOR patient navigator at Aegis Treatment Centers and substance abuse counselor, Frank Silva. Catch you after the break. Welcome back to the Better Modesto Show on KFIV 1360 and live on the iHeartRadio app. This is your host, Tulisis Vasquez, with co-host Chris Ricky, and SOR patient navigator at Aegis Treatment Centers and substance abuse counselor, Frank Silva. And also superhero, right, for uh, your recovery. And so that's, and and your advocacy now on the other side. It, it feels that way. Recovery does definitely feel that way. That's amazing. So um, I just wanted to share a real quick plug. Our podcast is available wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, also on the radio. Um, so feel free to follow us at, at Better Modesto Show on Instagram, at Better Modesto Show, and also on Facebook. And also, uh, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, as I mentioned before. So, uh, Frank, I wanted to ask if someone is looking into how they can get in contact with Aegis for themselves or for someone else they know and they love, uh, how, what, are, what is the way, best way to contact and hear more about Aegis and their services? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so for individuals here in Stanislaus County, we have a number of facilities The phone number for our Modesto location here on McHenry Avenue is 209-527-4597. We also have a series facility. That number is 209-353-4838. We also have what's known as a medication unit in Sonora, so that's attached to our Modesto facility. So the way that works is individuals do their doctor's appointments, their urine tests, things like that at our Modesto clinic, but they can medicate every day at the Sonora facility. And I'm very happy to announce, I just received word fairly recently that our Turlock medication unit will be opening around September. So be on the lookout for that. If individuals are in that area and need treatment, they can go ahead and get hooked up with our series location. And then eventually the Turlock medication unit will be kind of attached to our series location and individuals will be able to come to series 
to do their UAs, doctor, thing like that, and then Medicaid interlock. So that's super exciting. We also have over 30 locations across the state. Our website is aegistreatmentcenters.com, A-E-G-I-S treatmentcenters.com. And there's a whole list of all our facilities up and down the state, and then you could get hooked up with treatment through there. So lots of different ways. And um, I'm also happy to facilitate any referrals personally here in the area. Yeah. My, my phone number is 209-272-0798. And my email address is frank.silva at pinnacletreatment.com. Perfect. Thank you, Frank, for sharing that information. And again, listeners, that's the way for you to be able to get in contact for someone or a loved one. So that's super important. Uh, another thing, I had a question because our listeners, I imagine, are listening right now and saying, okay, I don't know someone who's struggling with addiction. Um, that's not just someone that I, there's no one that I can, that comes to mind, right? That they know of also. What would you suggest for a listener? How could they support people who may be struggling or just support in addressing and tackling this issue? Well, that's a great question, Ulysses. And honestly, what I would say is, you know, it may not seem like it sometimes, but there's tons of resources out there. This is a problem where lots of money is being thrown at the issue. There's going to be more money coming through a lot of these opioid settlements from major pharmaceutical companies. I know Stanislaus County is going to get a decent amount of money over the next decade to address this issue directly. So the biggest thing that these funds really can't do is changing hearts and minds and I would say the best thing someone can do right now who doesn't have any personal ties to this issue is to work on educating themselves and maybe look at maybe any biases stereotypes they have about people who suffer from substance use because the fact of the matter is it is a disease there's a genetic component to addiction. That's what all the research points to. It's not a moral failing. It doesn't make someone bad or not intelligent to have some type of substance use issue. And I believe the more we could change our mindset and how we look at substance use, that could do a lot of the work just, just there. So doing that and then also just paying paying attention trying to help others uh, sometimes people are silently struggling so just noticing I, I would say education it really starts with education because then you're able to see a lot of the issues at play when it comes to substance use and as I mentioned especially with certain cultures mm -hmm. there is a lot of stigma against seeking help for substance use issues and just mental and behavioral health issues in general. Definitely. So I, I would encourage people to learn as much as they can about mental health, physical health, and just apply that knowledge. And, you know, it's, we're all works in progress. So I would encourage that for even me, myself, I'm always trying to learn and understand things better. So that would be my advice for individuals listening. Yeah. And I appreciate yeah, the angle of you know, it's education and also like self-reflection because mm -hmm. they're mm -hmm. sometimes when you know someone as, as myself, speaking from my experience, who has had, who's gone through treatment 
and has had, uh, I believe, an opioid uh, addiction. And there, there's something that hits you like close. It's like that. I didn't know that that was happening, um, and that this person was brave enough to just share and apologize for the times he didn't say. And we were just like loving on him because we we're so proud of who he was even then and even now. And so, and even prouder for like the courage that he's gone through, uh, the courage to go through and fall through the treatment and be clean. And so, I mean, it's, it's when you don't have that experience, you might have to maybe hear stories, listen to a podcast or read some articles on what's going on and just really examine um, how is it that you're viewing the person? Is it, so is it a, a drug addicted person or a person with a drug addiction? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think really, I appreciate the focus of just really like, we're all works in progress. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good self-reflection um, for people who also just are in the community and want to know where and how they can get um, these kind of Narcan kits. Um, how can they get some if they know someone? Where are places that you know that you can go get a kit? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a business that's listening and saying, hey, maybe we would love to be partners here and have this available in our, our location. Could you tell us a little bit more about how we can, how people can get them um, and how and where? So the individuals are able to get Narcan through the Narcan Distribution Project in the state of California. They're also, Narcan is no longer, uh, uh, prescription is no longer necessary for Narcan. So that was a great recent development because we do want to be able to get this life-saving medication into the hands of individuals. Also here locally, Aegis is working on setting up Narcan vending machines. They're basically harm reduction vending machines. It will have Narcan fentanyl test strips, condoms, educational materials, feminine hygiene products. So we're really excited about that. That's an so, exciting project. Yeah. To have that here in our city, Modesta. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's in the works. Also, San Joaquin will be getting one, uh, but currently we're working on getting a few locations here in Stanislaus. Nothing is finalized, but... Thanks to some of these state opioid response grant funds that we got from the state, we're really trying to make these materials as accessible as possible to individuals that need it. So, that's that's fantastic, and I think that accessibility, I think even again having that out there, I think just shows the reality that it is here because it's easy to turn like a blind eye, like yeah, that's not happening here, but it is, yeah. and so, mm-hmm. um, and that that I think that allows that for that self reflection piece of like, okay, what do I think about it? How can I be an advocate and be educated? So if something does happen, or I know someone I can be, I can know where these resources mm-hmm. are at. And so, I, I, you know, as we're kind of closing up, I was just wondering, you know, from your experience being in this community, if city council could get together and make a change to address this issue, what would something that you dream for our community in making it better and addressing the fentanyl crisis? Well, as far as the type of treatment services we provide as uh, medication for opioid use disorder, one of the biggest barriers I see for individuals getting treatment and regular treatment are transportation issues. Mm. For people who may have issues with substance use, finances are very tight, transportation is very difficult. So my dream is for our organization and other organizations to have mobile medication units where basically we would be able to drive to different areas in the city and the county 
and kind of set up shop for a little bit and people that are on our program would be able to walk to our mobile dispensaries and get the medication they need. The telehealth revolution that kind of happened during the COVID lockdowns was a major positive in that regard. It made counseling services more available and I believe mobile medication units can do the same thing for the medication side of things. So Mm. individuals can get the medication to help stop their withdrawal symptoms, stop their cravings so they don't have to go and engage in illegal activities to support their habit. They'd be able to be satiated and have that space and time to have their brains heal from the substance use that's occurred. So to me, that would be the biggest thing and just continued education and prevention services. Yeah, no. And I think the, the part that can easily be overlooked is like basics like transportation for people. Because I can imagine someone could, could just say like, well, they should just get there and like, yeah, let them get treated. It's a mental thing. You can just, you know, just, just think it and you'll do it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But when there's chemistry involved, when there's need for medication to allow, as you mentioned, that, that your mind and your brain to heal, um, some of those things are difficult to like go and so not only can you can walk somewhere and get treated rather having to go a long process while you're having these I imagine physical symptoms of withdrawal and so I, I really appreciate you even just naming that for our listeners to, to know even these basics can really hard can be just another obstacle another wall to get over and it just we want to make it treatment as easy as possible for people and as accessible for their own safety exactly so, exactly yeah. Yeah, it, it can be difficult because individuals have dug themselves into such a deep financial hole before they even get into treatment. That's true, yeah. Where they don't have the type of safety net to say if their car breaks down, they can't afford to go get it fixed. And yeah. then when that happens, they have no transportation. They can't make it in to medicate. And then it digs them even further into the hole that yeah. they were before they even got into treatment. So yeah. it's a major barrier that myself and other individuals in the field have seen and it's something we're working to remedy yeah treatment is key harm reduction getting there so they can be alive so they can be treated and Mm -hmm. prevention Mm -hmm. is all that's things that i've heard that are are things that are working that are in progress Mm -hmm. growing awareness of this and i just appreciate for for myself and for our listeners that this is this is a step in that direction of bringing awareness and hope and healing for our community. So thank you, Frank, for doing that work and uh, being and Aegis for doing the work and bringing that for our community and making it better. So thank you. Yeah, most definitely. And thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity to speak to this very important issue and provide that information and let people know there is hope. Recovery is always possible. Today is another opportunity to begin your life anew. And I just try to encourage people to not give up if they're struggling you know they say when you're going through hell just keep walking so (laughs) walk on over to Aegis Treatment Centers and we can assist you in any way we can that's great thank you very much for joining us thank you very much and so we were here with SOR patient navigator at Aegis Treatment Centers and substance abuse counselor Frank Silva you've been listening to the Better Modesto show on KFIV 1360 and live on the iHeartRadio app this is your host Ulysses Vasquez was joined by Chris Rickey, and we look forward to another week together. Have a have a great great day.